Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. Uh, today is July the 21st. Well, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 13 today. I do apologize for yesterday. Um, I recorded it and I hit end and then I received a message from Facebook that... Um, the music that I used in the background um, was copywritten, and it would be removed. So, <laughs> so that ended that. So uh, anyway, it was deleted. So, anyways, well, it was actually posted, but there was no, there was no sound. So, so anyway, today I'm uh, posting. I'm live on both Facebook and my YouTube channel. I uh, encourage you to check out uh, the YouTube channel um, and subscribe to that. That'd be great. I'd appreciate it. So today we're going to continue in the book of Acts, chapter number 13. And um, let's look in. Uh, there you go. Let me get my notes up here. Um, Chapter number 13. Chapter 13 gets uh, pretty interesting for me because for most, not all, uh, it is the beginning <clears throat> of the gospel of grace as preached by the Apostle Paul. And that will become very obvious as we work our way through uh, the chapter, especially when we get down to verses 38 and 39. It will be abundantly clear that Paul is definitely preaching a different gospel. Now, I know for years myself, uh, you know, my upbringing, my, my college, undergrad, grad, postgrad, I never entertained the thought that there was two different gospels. I, I always saw it as the gospel. I mean, I could quote from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I, I would point to Acts chapter number two as the birth of the church. Um, <clears throat> I saw the preaching of Peter at the first Pentecostal sermon there on Pentecost and his uh, altar call, if you will, repent and be baptized that you may receive the Holy Ghost. I I just always, and then of course, Peter, uh, Paul comes along and, you know, uh, you know, the death, the burial, the resurrection. I just saw all of that as the gospel, one and only gospel. And I would venture to say that probably 90 plus percent of people today, I would say probably higher than that, I feel that same way. But as you begin to dissect what's going on, when you begin to rightly divide <clears throat> the word of truth, truth from truth, not truth from error, because Peter was speaking truth. Um, Paul was speaking truth. It's just Peter and Paul were talking to two different people groups with two different gospels. Uh, and again, I, you know, if you're if you're joining me on this journey, I mean, Peter was speaking to the house of Israel in regards to uh, the king and his kingdom. Uh, when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness and the gospels, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was uh, the good news that they were coming to proclaim that he was given. 
Jesus, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of the saints is at hand. The apostles, when they were sent out, same message. That message never changed. That message never changed even after the crucifixion and resurrection. When you read Acts chapter number two, after Pentecost and Peter preaches and they say, what must we do? After they were convicted, he said, repent and be baptized. I mean, the message never changed. I mean, and yet so many today also preach that message. But yet that message is not for today. Repentance and baptism is works. The act of repentance, the act of baptism, you can't turn around and say, I did it based on faith and faith alone. You're, you're mixing two gospels. So chapter 13 I believe is the beginning of the gospel of grace as preached by the Apostle Paul. And like I said, we'll, we'll see this. This will be abundantly clear when we get down to verses 38 and 39. Now, if you were to ask me, when did the church, the body of Christ, um, <clears throat> begin? Like I said, um, not long ago, I would have told you Acts chapter number two. But I would say today, emphatically, it began not there, but at the conversion of Paul. Um, at, I mean, 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 makes it abundantly clear that Paul was the first to respond to the gospel of grace because it was first revealed to him, only to him. Peter didn't know it. The other apostles didn't know it. So how could they have responded to it? He responded to it because he was the first one to receive it. Now, <clears throat> some will say that there was only one kingdom that you know, when we when we talk about uh, Paul, um, how many times was he converted? Now, some will say that there was only one conversion in, in Paul's life, and that was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number 9. And that is when the dispensation of grace began. Um, and others will say that there was um, two conversions in Paul's life. There was a kingdom conversion and, and then later, after he received the mystery, there was a grace conversion. Um, and, and I've heard good arguments on both sides of that, and I'm still working through that on my own. Um, but <clears throat> I tend to believe that there was two. There was the kingdom conversion uh, on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, because that's all Paul. That's all Paul knew. Uh, that's all he was told. And then there was another after the revelation of the mystery, um, which he talks about again in First Timothy chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen as a pattern to those that would come hereafter. Now, personally, I mean, I, I do have the right uh, to change my mind <laughs> upon further study. Um, but at the moment, I believe Paul experienced two conversions. Um, and again, people disagree, and there are great uh, and convincing arguments for both. I can set down some of my, my favorite uh, mid-Acts teachers, 
and our ministries and they completely disagree. Uh, but where they all agree is that chapter number 13 is where uh, this grace gospel was first publicly preached. And we'll see that when we get down into verses 38 and 39 of chapter number 13. So let's go ahead and look at uh, verse number one here. Now, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius, Cyrene, Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now bear in mind, this is a predominantly uh, Gentile church that had grown under the teaching of Paul and Barnabas, and of which he was the first member, I believe, again, referring back to 1 Timothy 1.15. This, in my opinion, is the body of Christ that you and I are a part of today that is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Because bear in mind, <clears throat> the kingdom is for the Jews. Heaven is for the Gentiles. The <clears throat> kingdom gospel is, is earthly. The gospel of grace is heavenly. Uh, the kingdom is for Jews and Jews only. The kingdom gospel, uh, Jews and Jews only. Though there were Gentiles who proselytized into Judaism, but that was required. Circumcision, keeping the law, the sacraments, the whole nine yards, that did happen. I believe that's what happened with Cornelius. Um, but the heaven or the gospel of grace is Jew and Gentile, one body, um, um, so to speak. So, um, in my opinion, this is when the body of Christ began, both Jew and Gentile, at the revelation of the mystery to Paul. And this chapter is the first place that Paul expresses that in its truest form. I don't think he's done it at all prior to this. And notice that Paul is not the only teacher there. <clears throat> we can see from the text, there are others that are there here in verse number one. And obviously they are Hebrew in their names, uh, which means they're, they're Jews. Um, and notice it says, as they ministered to the Lord <clears throat> and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed into Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now, <clears throat> now God providentially decides this work is humming along here at Antioch, this predominantly Gentile assembly. Um, God decides he's going to pull Paul and Barnabas out of this assembly and to take the gospel of grace uh, to the rest of the world. And this would begin what was known as Paul's first missionary journey. Now, we know that Paul took at least three missionary journeys, possibly four, uh, depending on whether or not he was in prison once or twice. And that depends on how you view 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. Uh, if he was imprisoned three times, then there, or one time, there was only three missionary journeys. If he was imprisoned twice, there was four. Uh, but that's another study for another day. Now notice in verse number five, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews 
and they also had John to their minister. So my question is here, what did they preach to the Jews in the synagogues here in verse number five? Well, I, good teachers um, will we'll land on both sides of this fence. But what we do know is by the time we get to the end of chapter number 13, um, he, he is definitely preaching the gospel of grace. But I would go with the gospel of grace here uh, because he had already been preaching it at Antioch. And if we're going to go with that, that Paul did indeed receive this revelation mystery either at three years in Arabia shortly thereafter, I, I would tend to say that Paul is preaching the gospel of grace here. But of course, not everybody will agree with that. But by the time we end chapter number 13, we are clearly on gospel of grace grounds. Um, um, but he's definitely speaking to Jews here um, because he's in the synagogues. Uh, and notice that John, again, this is John Mark, is with him. John Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. Um, the next verses will get interesting and are the primary reason I believe that Paul is now preaching the gospel of grace because he's starting to preach to a Gentile by the name of Sergius Paulus. Now, <clears throat> notice in uh, verse number six. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew. Very important that you realize this man was a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Uh, which by which with which the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, Sergius Paulus, uh, that's a Gentile name, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul desired to hear the word of God. But Ilimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. Ilimus is the same as Bar Jesus. Okay. He was a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, but it says here his name was Ilimus by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith. So as they are out preaching the gospel of grace, they've already been set aside by the church at Antioch. Um, they come into this area and they run into a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, but Ilimus by interpretation, according to verse number eight. He withstood Paul and Barnabas and sought, notice what he was trying to do. He, was, he sought to turn the deputy away from the faith that Paul and Barnabas were teaching. Now notice what happens in verse number nine. Then Saul, who is called Paul, this is the first time this is mentioned. Uh, that Saul's name is now Paul. He's moving from a Hebrew name to a Gentile name. He is moving from Saul to Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. From this point forward, Paul is never again called Saul, except when it's referring to his previous life. Um, to me, this is the proof that Paul had already received the revelation of the mystery. And again, I pointed this out earlier. Um, his name, <clears throat> Saul, is used 26 times prior to this verse. And his name, Paul, is used 126 times after this verse. 
Again, this to me is a strong indicator, another of, of several, that he it that it had already happened and the name change was merely the announcement that it had happened, that Paul was no longer going uh, to the Jew, but to the Gentile only. Uh, now, as you read through Paul, and I think one of the things we have to be very careful with, I believe <clears throat> that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the first, you know, nine, 10, 12, 13 chapters of the book of Acts is, is Jewish. Uh, it is written by Jews to Jews about a Jewish king and a Jewish kingdom. <clears throat> so is Hebrews through Revelation. Hebrews through Revelation, we, we refer to as the Hebrew epistles. Why do we refer to them as Hebrew epistles? Because they were written to Hebrews. They were not written to Gentiles. And guess what? We are not Hebrews. Now, there's a lot of people around today that believe that we are Hebrews. Um, there's, there's movements um, right now um, um, that say that we are the Hebrews. We have replaced Israel as God's covenant people. Um, some of this manifests itself through covenant theology. Some of it is manifesting itself right now um, through um, the the uh, protests and the riots and some of the, the black Hebrew movement that we're also seeing. But it is erroneous. We are not Hebrews. Uh, we are Gentiles and forever will be Gentiles. We are not God's covenant. God did not make any covenants uh, with the Gentiles, nor will he ever. Now we partake and we benefit from those covenants that God made with the Jew, but they're not, we're not part of those covenants. Those covenants, we're not, we are not a covenant people. Uh, and I will go on to say, and I've got a study on my blog, uh, we're not living under the new covenant. Um, the new covenant was not established because the king and the kingdom was rejected. Uh, it was given, it was, it was going to be given to the nation of Israel, not to the church, the body of Christ. But you get into this mess because you start inserting the church in Acts chapter number two, and you end up with replacement theology, which is that the body of Christ is now Israel. And that's where you end up with all of these various isms and schisms and, and doctrines that are erroneous that teach that we are somehow um, the nation of Israel. Uh, we're not. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it, it's a result of not rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's where we end up in the error. If we would just rightly divide it, we wouldn't fall into these pits, is what I'm trying to say. So... Um, Let's see. Uh, we can look at one more verse and then I'll have to come off for today. Um, and said, now this is, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now, notice he says, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief. Now, when we use the word today, subtle, it means that we are not being very obvious in our actions. Well, Elymas was being very overtly obvious in his actions, and certainly Paul 
didn't have a problem with subtlety. So obviously that is not the meaning of the word in the context that we're reading. In this verse, <clears throat> the word is translated to mean craft, deceit, or guile. He is accusing him, Paul is accusing Ilamus, Bar-Jesus, of using deception and dishonesty in perverting the ways of the Lord. Okay, so that's what he means that. He says, you are, you are, oh, full of all guile and all mischief, all craft, all mischief, all deceit, all mischief. He is accusing him of perverting the ways of the Lord. And Elymas was being very overt in this regard. He was not being subtle as we would interpret the word subtle today. Now, <clears throat> notice in verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, that's Sergius Paulus, the Gentile, when he saw what was done, he believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> this is where I have to wrap up. Um, some, including myself, see this as this, this event as a type of the transition that was taking place from the kingdom of, to the gospel, from the prophetic to the mystery. Understand, the kingdom is Jewish related. The gospel of grace is Jew and Gentile related. Prophetic, all prophecy is regard to the nation of Israel. All mystery is in regards to the body of Christ. Elymas is a type of unbelieving Israel. And notice that he was blinded. Unbelieving Israel is also in temporary blindness because of their rejection of the gospel of the kingdom. And then Sergius Paulus here is a Gentile who clearly saw the truth that Paul was presenting, okay? Um, and again, Romans <clears throat> 11 uh, points this out. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, a good covenant theologian would look at that verse and say, what then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh, but the election hath. Now they will say, oh, the elect are us. But the elect in this verse and in this context is not Gentiles. It's Jews. It's believing Jews. In other words, Israel, unbelieving Israel, did not obtain that which she sought, but the election, those who did believe of Israel, did obtain it, and the rest were blinded, the rest of Israel. According as it is written, God hath given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. In other words, Israel was placed in a state of temporary blindness, just like Elymas, because they refused to heed and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Therefore, the Gentiles have benefited as a result of that, because God raised up the apostle Paul to take the, the gospel to the Gentile. 
verse number nine, and David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, speaking of the nation of Israel, that they may not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. In other words, God is not through with the nation of Israel. We are not the nation of Israel. We are not we do, we're not God's covenant people. He's, I mean, he, he answers it here. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation came into the Gentiles. Why? To provoke them, the Jews, to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them, the Jew, be the riches of the world, that's us, and the diminishing of them, the Jew, becomes the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness when God does fully restore them? And he will. The fact that he states it means that God still has a, a, a future for the nation of Israel. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentile, Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I, I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. Paul was a Jew that I might save some of them. For if the casting away of them, the Jew, be the reconciling of the world, the Gentile, what shall be the receiving of them, the Jew, but life from the dead? In other words, God is going to receive them. God is going to restore them. God has cast them down, but not forever. So I believe that this story here is in type. Um, Ilamus representing the nation of Israel that rejected the gospel and is now in temporary blindness. Sergius Paulus, the Gentile who received the message of the Apostle Paul. And of course, Ilamus worked actively against the preaching of Paul. And if you study Paul's life and Paul's ministry, his biggest enemy were the Judaizers. The ones that hated him did not like his ministry. They continually persecuted him all the way to the end. Um, so, um, that's what I believe is going on here in these verses. So next time, uh, we'll get into verse number 13, um, when, uh, Paul, um, when Paul, when actually John Mark splits, uh, when he <laughs> literally splits. So we'll talk about that later. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants best for you, working all things out for your good.